0: Hi, it's Dina. Click Here is still on its midsummer break, but we wanted to share one of our favorite episodes. It's about a group of hackers, extortionists really, who called themselves lapsus. And what made lapsus different from all the other groups we report on wasn't their skill or success, but rather their sheer audacity. They'd swipe a company's source code and then publish it in a massive Telegram channel. They targeted big names like Samsung, Okta, and Microsoft, And the big thing that set them apart was their age. They were teenagers, and as you'll see, they acted like it. So in case you missed it, and in honor of everyone's summer vacation, we're sharing that episode again. Here's the script, Kitties Are All Right. It originally aired in April. And as always, thanks for listening. Is it Okta or Okta?
1: I had
2: to learn that as well. It's Okta.
0: Jim Green is head of government affairs at Okta. Even if you don't know how to pronounce the company name, you may have used it. Okta is what's known as an identity management platform. Companies use it to stop people from breaking into their networks. You log in, and Okta sends you a code or an email to make sure you've got permission to enter the network. Which is why in March 2022, the tech world collectively gasped when screenshots of what looked like to be a hack on the company suddenly appeared in a telegraph channel
3: that Okta has been hacked. They're one of the biggest companies that offer SSO and multi-factor authentication. So pretty much all the important stuff that we never want to get hacked. They service over 15,000.
0: But as investigators looked into it, the breach became both less and more troubling. It looked like the culprits weren't some stealthy nation state hacking collector for a Russian speaking ransomware gang instead. They were an unpredictable, hard-to-control, impulsive lot that seemed strangely unafraid of getting caught. And that combination has presented a new kind of challenge.
2: Every organization right now has a playbook for what happens when your network is compromised by a ransomware gang and you have to respond very quickly. There isn't really a playbook for this.
0: I'm temple Rast, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. Today, a deep dive into a new kind of hacking threat that has sent security officials scrambling. Stay with us.
3: If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to the record.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox.
0: Brett Winterford is Okta's regional chief security officer, and he was in a client meeting last month when the alarming emails started streaming in.
2: Uh, the first message that I received on my phone said, it looks like you're going to have a bad day. And the second message had the screenshots.
0: The screenshots were hopefully annotated pictures with captions that read things like photos from our access to Okta.com. And you're reading these screenshots, I guess, trying to have a poker face in front of a customer?
2: I don't think I have that good a poker face.
0: The screenshots seemed to indicate that a technical support engineer's account had been compromised, which meant potentially that hackers had the power to change passwords, authenticate accounts. Just bad stuff. And it wasn't just Okta in their crosshairs. All their customers could be at risk. The screenshot ended with a smirking emoji.
2: From the first moment that these screenshots were published, we had two things in mind, right? One, figure out exactly what happened from a technical perspective, technical impact. And two, get in front of our customers and explain to them what had happened.
0: They traced it back to a hack of a third-party vendor in January, one they thought
2: they'd already dealt with. So our first research question is to go back and say, were our conclusions from that event correct?
0: They reviewed what they'd done back in January, and among other things, they'd caught an illegal password change on an account. It had all the typical red flags, a suspicious IP address, failed two-factor authentication tests, and oft had responded exactly how they needed to. Everything looked as it should, crisis averted, which is why it was so frustrating that the hackers were publicly saying exactly the opposite.
3: FBI San Francisco says a hacking group called Lapsus has been stealing companies' data, threatening to leak it unless the company pays a ransom in Bitcoin.
0: Lapsis a cyber gang that first burst on the global hacking scene just this past December, with a hack on the Ministry of Health in Brazil. They stole source code and deleted data. In fact, they seem obsessed with source code. They took source code from graphics and computer chip maker, Nvidia, and then again from the consumer electronics giant, Samsung.
2: Uh, our threat intelligence uh, team at, at Okta had been monitoring Lapsus. We, we kind of viewed them as The kind of adversary that you could come across just because of how prolific they were and how little attention they paid to to OPSEC. OPSEC, Operational Security.
0: They didn't seem to care if people knew who they were. Instead, they seemed to be on a reckless, ego-motivated hacking spree, cracking into companies, posting their latest exploits on a lapsus Telegram channel that had some 60,000 subscribers.
2: They seemed to be crafty and resourceful and had a lot of time on their hands. And, you know, a, a lot of folks had remarked at the time that it reminded them of these kind of groups that um, that just almost love hacking for the notoriety more than anything else.
0: And the Hack offered the illicit thrill of compromising a well-known technology platform. Though, Winifred said, studying the logs afterwards, the way they moved around was odd. Like they didn't really know what the third party they'd cracked into, a company
2: called Sykes-Sytel, actually did. Um, They were really just in in an experimental mode or a discovery mode, trying to figure out how could they leverage that access in some way. They'd try to get into a privileged account in one way, get blocked, and then give up and try another.
0: It wasn't methodical, it was frenetic.
2: I I guess a a different kind of adversary might have been more patient and might have performed more discovery. This threat act is very much all about, you know, try it out and find out.
0: And if that strategy sounds weirdly familiar... It should. It's an adolescent strategy. It turns out, that's exactly what lapsus was. A bunch of teenagers just seeing what they could get away with. In fact, those Okta screenshots, the ones that were supposed to ruin Winterford's day, members of lapsus, well, might have exaggerated a bit. They hadn't cracked into Okta's network. They had compromised one account. They sat in on some client sessions. It was very limited. But... What fun is there in saying that? So they did what teenagers often do. They took strategic screenshots, wrote some creative captions, and then, just like that, they looked like an invincible hacking crew that had just compromised a giant company. Even though, it appears, they didn't really. In the end, the hackers compromised two Okta accounts. Two. Two.
2: And there was only one session that was in scope for us because there's only one that related to provision of support to Okta customers, and that was a 25-minute period of activity. In a sense, they didn't really need to, you know, perform any account takeovers or configuration changes or anything of that nature to have some impact that would, um, you know, make them more notorious.
0: Which presents a huge problem. How do you protect your company from something like that? A hacker disinformation campaign? Because while a hacker can swipe source code and hold information for ransom, another arrow in their quiver is a company's reputation. They can strike at that. And sometimes that's even harder to fix.
2: There isn't really a playbook, but when a bunch of hackers break into your third-party support provider and then you know, observe thin client sessions, of a a technical support engineer, take screenshots and publish them on their Telegram channel. It's just not a scenario you come up with for a tabletop exercise.
0: When we come back, how a bunch of teenagers took aim at a little company called Microsoft and the retro way they did it. This is Click Here. Stay with us.
1: I'm Ben Mankiewicz. On this season of The Plot Thickens, we're exploring the world of renegade movie director John Ford. Ford was a living legend, a cinematic giant, and also a notorious egomaniac who could unload on actors. You'll hear from the best of them, John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, even Ricardo Montalban. Find out how Ford's legacy survives his personal demons. The Plot Thickens, Decoding John Ford, hosted by me, Ben Mankiewicz. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.
0: It actually isn't hard to find the person who is the alleged leader of lapses. He's 17, and he lives in the UK. But because he's a minor, we're not using his name. We reached out to him, we sent his parents a bunch of emails, and they didn't respond. But even without speaking to him or his parents directly, you can learn a lot about him. So are you like a private cyber
4: uh, detective? Ooh, that's a really good way of putting it.
0: (laughs) Allison Nixon is the chief researcher at a cybersecurity company called Unit 221B. And she's been tracking Lapsus and some of its earlier iterations for a while now. Could you tell us a little bit about their leader? I mean, it must feel sort of odd to be a detective chasing teenagers.
4: I don't know. I mean, I guess his hobbies include reoffending.
0: Nixon says he left quite a digital trail.
4: So profile for the leader of Lapsus. Um, I'd say that he's been involved in the script kitty community for a very long time.
0: Script kitties are people who can't really code, but use other hacking tools like social engineering to crack into
4: systems. Just because he's under 18 doesn't mean that he lacks years of experience in the criminal underground because he really does have years of experience. How do you know that? I know that because when you start digging into his online profiles and his historical posts and activity, you'll find his accounts go pretty far back, and when you read the material on there um, and look at the dates of when they were posted, you the only conclusion you can come to is that this kid has a lot of years of experience in the criminal underground.
0: One of his screen names is White, and we dug a little more, and we found lots of people who knew him. They talked to us, but didn't want to be recorded. Some claimed he hacked their bank accounts, shut down their Xboxes, and demanded money to open them up again.
4: Nixon says they're really different from other hacking crews she's followed. Uh, For one thing, they are not using malware. Uh, Instead, they are going old school. They are downloading the data, deleting it, and then demanding money in exchange for it.
0: No elegant malware shells, no zero-day exploits. Their hacking gifts appear to be more mundane. They're really good at finding gullible people who either click on the wrong thing or can be sweet-talked into accidentally providing access. Which, if you're a big company, presents a huge problem. You can build walls and virus scanners against code, but when the vulnerabilities are carbon units, you know them as human beings, that's a lot harder to prevent. Nixon said White was also clearly big into a scheme known as SIM swapping.
3: These scams netted criminals $68 million last
0: year. These so-called SIM swaps happen when a scammer transfers your phone number to a new device without your authorization. And once someone... SIM swapping involves someone convincing your carrier to switch your phone number over to a SIM card that they have. Once that happens, at least in a hacker kind of way, the world is your oyster. Armed with that, they can complete text-based two-factor authentication checks. Remember, that's how Okta works. They can steal your personal information or trick services into coughing up passwords. And if that sounds crazy, it's not so much.
2: Uh, boy, the Lapsus has been very busy. they hacked Microsoft, leaked what out 36... 36-
4: ...to be source code for Bing, Bing Maps, and Cortana. They leaked a- Microsoft dug into the hack and came up
0: with a list of Lapsus's favored techniques. SIM swapping was among them. Although it appeared in the case of the Microsoft hack, they used a password stealer and purchased credentials from dark web forums. Nixon says all these old-school techniques have allowed lapses to seem like big dog hackers.
4: The total volume of takeovers is going to be low, and it's probably going to always be low. But the targets that they choose are always going to be high-profile, important, high-value targets.
0: People who'll pay you a lot of money to get their phone numbers back. Some estimates say Lapsus has raked in some $14 million from its victims just since December.
4: It's something that people need to think about. Because if threat actors are going to be casing out your employees' entire life and putting a ton of effort into taking over your employees' account at work just to steal access to employee tools and manipulate your customer accounts. Uh, that is a very dangerous threat.
0: Teenagers have a talent for being their own worst enemy. And in the case of Lapsus, its members have the unfortunate habit of blurting things out in their Telegram channel. Stupid things.
4: They are sitting in that chat room and chatting and sometimes airing out their dirty laundry in the chat group.
0: Dirty laundry, like posting members' real names and addresses and emails. I'm familiar with this kind of behavior, and not just because I was once a teenager. Back in 2018, I created and hosted a podcast called what were, you thinking? what were You Thinking? A show in which we look at kids' decisions, study their developing brains, and try to figure out what we might be able to do to help them choose more wisely. One of the episodes was about adolescent hackers. I talked to a lot of them. Everyone makes bad decisions, but I think we can all agree adolescents tend to make more of them. In the past 5 years. The short version is that studies show that levels of dopamine in the brain lead to all kinds of behaviors. Too much dopamine in one part of the brain is linked to psychosis. Too little in others makes you look for ways to increase it. And one way to give it a boost is to take risks, which Allison Nixon says could help explain some of the behavior we've seen from lapses.
4: Because of this ego motivation coloring a lot of their actions, it sabotages a lot of their operations, actually. It's it's oftentimes an act of self-sabotage when these people are bragging about stuff and trying to flex and trying to show off and show how dominating they are over other people. That's a huge reason why a lot of them get caught.
0: Which is precisely what happened a few weeks ago. At the end of March, the City of London police announced the arrest of seven people in connection with the Lapsus investigation. We reached out to the London police, but a spokesperson declined to comment. But what they did say publicly is that the seven they arrested were all between the ages of 16 and 21. A short time later, Lapsus announced on its Telegram channel that some of its members were taking a vacation. Nixon says there's a lesson here. There's a whole crop of young people who've
4: been dabbling at the edges of the hacking world, and they could be waiting in the wings to strike. The script kitties are growing up here, and sim swapping methods are being used for more and more uh, high profile attacks. And this is
0: just the beginning. As if to make a point, Lapsus claimed on April 20th that it had hacked a company called Globant. It provides software services to big companies like Disney and Google. The group posted a screenshot in its Telegram channel, and it showed a roster of folder names labeled with brands like Facebook, DHL, and C-SPAN. When we come back, we found another story about teenage hackers that was just too fun not to share, and it happened almost 60 years ago. Stay with us. So we have one more youthful hacking story that took place when teenage hacking wasn't really even a thing. The year was 1964. And back then, computers were so big, they filled an entire office building floor.
1: I remember the day as if it were virtually yesterday.
0: Michael Shamos is a distinguished career professor at Carnegie Mellon University. And the story starts almost like a joke. Two high school kids walk into the IBM data center at 59th and Madison in New York.
1: And it was a very well-known place at the time because it was on the ground floor. So anybody walking by on, on Madison Avenue would be able to look in and see these computers with their tape drives turning and lights flashing. These machines are things of gleaming,
2: very colored metal and numerous flashing lights.
1: And so you knew that IBM was up to something in that place.
0: And Shamos and a buddy of his walk in and ask a crazy question.
1: Would it be possible during idle time for you to allow us to use uh, the IBM 7094?
0: It was IBM's fastest computer, and it cost $900 an hour to use.
1: We said enough technical things that he realized that we knew what we were doing. And so he said, sure.
0: Now back then, computer punch cards booted up a computer. You'd get a card into the reader, and that single card had enough information to tell the machine to go to a particular tape drive and start executing instructions. The cards were those long rectangular cards, and Shamos and his buddy were curious about how they worked. They did some math and realized that if they changed one hole in the card, just one hole, they could probably stop the machine from rebooting. So they made a test card, they put it into the computer, and boom, it worked.
1: And then the the devilish idea occurred that if we made many copies of this card and we put a lot of them into that big box that they've got on the console, then at some random time when they needed to reboot the machine, there was some good chance that they would pick the bad card and they wouldn't be able to reboot the machine.
0: They made 100 copies of their altered card.
1: And we kind of randomly shuffled them into the box that the operators used and just left it there.
0: Shamos and his buddy used to spend a lot of time at the IBM building, waiting to get some computer time when no one else was using them. So they didn't attract any suspicion as they just sat there, waiting until their bad cards were finally fished out of the pile.
1: And we're standing there and we're watching. And we figured, you know, they would diagnose the problem really quickly.
0: But they didn't. They went back to the room, brought out another copy of the operating system tape, mounted that, and then the same thing happened again.
1: They tried running machine diagnostics. None of them showed that anything was wrong with the machine. And now what's going on is IBM can't run any of their paying jobs, including the National Weather Service, which was trying to do weather prediction.
0: And suddenly, it didn't seem quite so funny.
1: We didn't want to fess up. But the best proposition that we had was to get our cards out of that box so none of them could be used again. But there were so many people now gathered around this machine watching what was going on, no possibility of fixing it. We're dying, okay, because if this went on too long, without their making a discovery, we we would have to tell them because otherwise we would have taken down the whole computer center.
0: Finally, one of the IBM engineers picked up one of the cards from his box on the machine and then went over to a different machine and picked up one of those cards, and then he held them up to the light.
1: And he saw that there was one bit difference, and he said... This is the problem.
0: So while 1964 was freedom summer for much of the country, Shamus remembers it as hacker summer, the summer he and a buddy almost took down the IBM Computer Center in Manhattan.
1: One of my favorite stories, too. I've told it off and on, not to anybody of importance. I mean, maybe friends. Certainly nobody at IBM.
0: (laughs) Certainly nobody at IBM. Okay. Because a few years later, Michael Shamus landed his first full-time job. At IBM, this is Click Here.
4: On the mark.
0: Here are some of the big cyber and intelligence stories of the past week. The TSA unveiled its cybersecurity directives for oil and natural gas pipelines on Thursday. The rules are in response to the ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline in May 2021, which rocked fuel supplies on the East Coast. TSA wants owners and operators of critical pipelines to report cybersecurity incidents, designate a cybersecurity coordinator, and conduct vulnerability assessments within 24 hours of discovering a breach. Hackers targeted two radio stations owned by one of Ukraine's largest broadcasters last week, and launched a disinformation campaign centered on the health of Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky. Tavr Media, which operates nine popular radio stations in Ukraine, told the record cyber criminals tried to hack all nine radio stations, but most of the attacks were intercepted by the company's cybersecurity team. In one of the false reports, hackers claimed Zelensky was in intensive care and his duties were being performed by the chairman of the Ukrainian parliament. Later that day, Zelensky posted a video from his office on his official Instagram page saying that he was
4: fine.
0: And finally, the Biden administration is investigating whether Chinese telecom's equipment maker, Huawei, can capture sensitive information from US military bases that sit near Huawei-equipped cell towers. According to Reuters, authorities are concerned that Huawei could vacuum up information on military drills and the readiness status of bases and personnel. Reuters said the investigation is closely held because it involves national security. Today's episode was produced by Sean Powers and Will Jarvis, and it was edited by Karen Duffin with fact-checking from Darren Ancrum. Ben Levingston composed our theme and original music for the episode. We had additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Click Here is a production of the record by Recorded Future. We want to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts, and you can connect with us at clickyourshow.com. I'm Dina Temple Raston, and we'll be back on Tuesday.
3: Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to therecord.media.